Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, hello, I'm Alison Balance, and a big welcome to episode one of The Kākāpō Files, a podcast series from RNZ. Over the next few months, we're going to be keeping up with all the exciting Kākāpō news. It'll be coming in from the remote New Zealand islands where these rare birds live. And we can do that because the wonderful Kākāpō recovery team at the Department of Conservation are going to be an integral part of the podcast. The Kākāpō Files podcast exists because 2019 could be, drumroll please, the biggest Kākāpō breeding season on record. But we do know from past years that nothing is a given. Remember that old saying, never count your chicks before they hatch? And whatever happens is going to be an exciting roller coaster ride. At times... It'll be a matter of life and death. But before I get ahead of myself, uh, can I introduce you to the kākāpō? It's one of the rarest birds on the planet. It was first named by Māori. The name kākāpō means parrot of the night. When Europeans arrived in New Zealand a few hundred years later, they called it the owl parrot. And scientists, they've dubbed it Strygops hybroptilis, which means owl face, soft feathered. Cool, eh? The kākāpō, if you don't already know it, is unusual in almost every way. Simply put, it's a fat green parrot that can't fly. It's also an extraordinary creature. It's certainly the heaviest parrot in the world. It really doesn't fly. It comes out only at night. It's a vegetarian that eats leaves and fruits. It has a bizarre breeding system. And I'll get to that in a minute. Now, kākāpō used to be one of the most common birds in New Zealand. But by the early 1990s, there were only 51 individuals left. They really were on the brink of extinction. But there are now 148 birds That's an amazing achievement, but it's still not that many birds when you think about it. Uh, They're still rare enough that every bird is well known, and each bird has a name. The list of names goes from Adelaide to Zephyr. Adelaide, by the way, is just three years old. She was born in the last big kākāpō breeding season in 2016, and Zephyr? She's one of the original founder kākāpō from Rakiora, Stewart Island. We know that she was born in 1981, so she's now 37. Now the reason that there are 148 kākāpō today, and they all have names, is because they're the focus of an amazing conservation programme run by the New Zealand Department of Conservation. There's a small team known as the Kākāpō Recovery Team, and they are in the chick business. Their job is to make as many baby kākāpō as possible. And that's a surprisingly difficult thing to do. All of the kākāpō are wild. 
it's not possible to keep them in captivity. They live on three remote islands, and everything about Kakapo is slow. They take their time. They only breed every two to four years. Remember, I mentioned just before with Adelaide that it's been three years since they last bred. They have a very unusual style of breeding. Kakapo are complete loners. Male and female birds do not pair up. They each just do their own thing. Male kakapo compete with each other for the attention of the females, and because they're only active at night, they do it using sound. They boom. Booming is this deep, very deep, resonating sound. It carries really well through the forest on cool nights. In fact, you can almost feel it. Booming's a difficult sound to record, so it's hard to do it justice in the podcast, but here's a recording of a male called Blades, just to give you a sense of it. Imagine a whole lot of males all doing that at the same time. The females then decide who's booming they fancy. They choose their male, they mate with them, and that's the end of Dad's involvement in the parenting process. From now on, Mum is a complete solo mum. She does all the work of incubating eggs and raising the chicks all on her own. And that takes months and months and months. Now the exciting thing about this Kākāpō Files podcast is we're going to be getting the latest Kākāpō news straight from the amazing Kākāpō team. These are the people who will be spending the next six months or more out on the three Kākāpō islands. They're going to be working alongside the birds, trying to help those hard-working Kākāpō mums to raise as many healthy chicks as possible. So here's our first guest, Andrew Digby. Kia ora, Andrew, and welcome to the Kākāpō Files. Can I actually get you to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, kia ora. Um, my name's Andrew Digby, and I'm the science advisor for Kākāpō and Tākehi with the Department of Conservation. Now, I'm talking to you on a mobile phone. Where are you? Yeah, so I'm in the hut on Whenua Hau Codfish Island, which is just off the coast of Rakiura, um, in the far south of New Zealand. Would it be fair to describe Whenua Hau as Kākāpō Central? It would, yeah, and it's definitely been central to the Kākāpō conservation efforts for the last 30-odd years. We've got other sites now, though, which are becoming increasingly important, such as Anchor Island, too. Now, Kākāpō aren't native, in a sense, to Whenua Hau Codfish Island. Can you very quickly tell me the story of how they came to be there? Yes, so they were translocated here from Rakira, from Stewart Island in the 1980s, and this was made a predator-free island, so it was a safe place for Kākāpō, which were being um, predated by cats on Rakira. So it's a, it's a new home for them, but it's a safe one. How many Kākāpō have you got there at the moment? There's 59 Kākāpō here at the moment. It's um, actually one of the lowest numbers of Kākāpō had here for a while, but we've translocated some off recently to make room for the breeding season. Now, this breeding season that's coming up, when it comes to breeding in Kākāpō, there's a bit of a love triangle going on. Can you explain to me why Kākāpō breeding is not just about a boy Kākāpō and a girl Kākāpō, but why there's a tree involved as well? Yeah, there's definitely a third character which is central, and that is, is the tree. And on Whenua and on Anchor, the main tree is the Rimu tree. And 
that's that's essential for kakapo to breed. They only breed when that tree produces lots of fruit. And that only happens normally about every two or three years. So in those other years, the kakapo just don't breed at all. And so it's we get these spikes of breeding. And every now and again, we also get big spikes of breeding. When there's lots of fruit, then lots of kakapo breed. Now tell me a bit about this rimu tree, because there's something about the way it goes about fruiting that is important for the kākāpō, because, I mean, how do they know that it's going to be a good fruiting year? Yeah, that's a good question. We don't know exactly for sure how they know, but it takes a long time for rimu fruit to develop, and they pick up on cues of, of when that starts developing. So they know in early in the springtime, sort of around about September, the fruit starts to form, and they detect it in the trees somehow. We don't quite know how, and they know that's a cue for them to breed. So that fruit won't ripen until later, until sort of early autumn. Now that's key because the kākāpō are quite late breeders, aren't they, in a sense, like they're not breeding at the beginning of spring. That's right, they're different to quite a lot of other birds. They normally start around about January time, so normally about mid-summer, and most of the eggs will be laid in, in February, chicks hatch, sort of March time. Now Remu is also a really good early warning system for you to know when kākāpō are breeding. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it's really useful. We know that kākāpō breed in response to rimu. So if we know when the rimu fruits, then we can actually tell when the kākāpō will breed. And we count the fruit on the trees, on the rimu trees developing a year in advance. So we know with a year's warning um, whether kākāpō will breed or not. And we also have a further warning system using temperature differences. And if we look at the temperature differences between successive summers, we can actually tell two years in advance if the rimu will mask them, so if the kākāpō will be likely to breed. So two years out, you knew this is going to be a breeding season. One year out, you went and counted rimu fruit. What did that tell you? Yeah, so last autumn, um, round about March 2018, we counted the rimu fruit on the kākāpō islands, and there was lots and lots of rimu fruit. So the way that we count is we take 10 trees on the island and we count the tips of each tree and see how many tips have fruit on them we take a representative sample of that tree and normally if there's more than about eight percent of the tips have got new developing fruit the kakapo will breed the highest count we've ever had before was about 38 percent this year it was 47 percent so it was a massive amount only half of the tips of the the trees had rimu fruit on so we knew it was going to be a really really big year but there's a trick because that fruit needs to stay on the trees doesn't it yeah it does and that's the big question so a lot of fruit can be lost over winter, and that's happened in the past. And sometimes breeding can actually not happen, even if you think it will in advance, and suddenly lots of fruit is lost. So we counted again. We've counted again in the spring recently. And on Fenoaho, there's still 40% tips of fruit on the trees. So that's still a massive, that's still way bigger than any other count we've had before. So we still know that there's going to be lots of breeding, and that will probably mean virtually every female kakapo will breed on the island. Has that ever happened before? We've had big years before, so 2002 and 2009 were the previous biggest years and, and lots of kakapo bred, bred then. Um, this year will be as big as those um, and we've got more kakapo now, so we're expecting more chicks. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, we're kind of slightly daunted but very excited by it. Thanks, Andrew. And that's it for the first episode of The Kākāpō Files from RNZ. I'm Alison Balance, and I'll be back with breaking Kākāpō news in future episodes. I'll also fill in more of the incredible backstory. You can find and listen to us online at rnz.co.nz. Just search for Kākāpō. 
We are also available as a podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, this podcast is made to be shared. Spread the word widely with all your friends and family, with bird nerds and nature nuts and conservation fans everywhere. Post about it on Facebook and Twitter. Shout about it from the rooftops. It's going to be a great few kākāpō months. In the meantime, if you want to know more, Kākāpō Recovery is on Facebook. You can follow Andrew Digby and myself on Twitter. Just search for our names. I'm Alison with one L, by the way, and Balance with two Ls. I've also written a book, Kākāpō, Rescued from the Brink of Extinction, which tells you everything you need to know about the bird, its history and biology, and the conservation programme. This is the Kākāpō Files from RNZ. Catch you next time. Mate wa. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.